Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Today's call to worship is in Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 14. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me and hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at the time to teach you the decrees and laws that you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Our Old Testament reading this this morning is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25, as well as Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. You can find it in the Pew Bible, pages 4 and 5, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God called the man to, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now my bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The Gospel reading today is found in Matthew 10, 
verse 1, 5 through 8, and 24, and the Pew Bible, pages 8, 97, and 8. And I'll be reading from the New International Version as well. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. Please turn to page 1007 and 8 in the New Testament reading of Acts 5 verses 12 through 20. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. What a blessing to hear from the gracious and powerful voices of three women involved in women's ministries. And a weekend in which so much is going on for that particular ministry, we're, we're just very pleased. A couple of update things. Last week I shared a story about myself and how I ended up getting invited to boot camp again. Um, I just, I'm here, which I think says volumes. Uh, Brief elaboration, Tuesday was the day when I thought, I don't know if I can put a foot in front of the other. Tuesday was the day uh, painful and difficult to get up out of a chair or to get in and out of a car. Almost impossible, actually, to get in. Wednesday, uh, bad but better. Thursday, pretty good. Friday, really good. And today, uh, I'm not really sore at all. So, Uh, It is getting better. I did ask God why, after such an intense week of working out, I didn't look fabulous yet. (laughs) I was trying to point out to God that it is a dire failure in his plan that somehow I can't fix everything that's wrong with me with a good week of exercise. 
And I see some of you nodding and shaking your heads. And you know what God told me back? He said, Greg, I could have arranged it that way, but then if you screwed up, it would only take a week to put you back to a really bad place. Ooh, I don't know if I need that. So um, it took years to put it on. It'll take at least uh, some time to take it off, and this is where I stand. So uh, continue to uh, wish me well. I also got to speak to Brennan last night. For those of you who've been praying for him, thank you so much. I appreciate your prayers. He appreciates your prayers. He's starting a blog, finally. And so as I figure out how to get into that blog, um, I'll be sharing that link with all of you. And hopefully we can track his time in service there in Malawi. He uh, was able to spend time again at the orphanage this week. And this time his assignment was to play with young kids, almost all of whom were boys. And so he was tossing them around and wrestling with them. And I think probably they had the time of their lives. So uh, we, we take so much for granted. And fathers, you are so important. So important. Do not fail to father your children. You are so vital to them and so important to their formation and their, their psyche and their, their success. So thank you for uh, doing that. So that's how Brennan's doing. He's actually faring quite well and uh, sends his greetings. So uh, forgive the two commercials here at the beginning. Our texts were rather, rather powerful this morning. I want to draw us back to that. Last week, I talked a little bit about the work of God. My title reflected some of that. I have the bulletin from last week, so I think I'll just read that to you very quickly. Last week, the title was God's Work, Creation, Redemption, Healing, and Restoration. Powerful work. And I'm sure he has work that I know not. I don't know what it's like to administrate a universe. I can barely keep up with a home and a church. So, as some of you are fond of saying, it's really good to know that he is God and I am not. That is a very comforting thought. But with all the work God engages, creation, redemption, healing, and restoration feature prominently in our scriptures and in our psyches and in our thinking. And so last week, we talked a little bit about how God created the earth and called it good. But the interesting thing is that though we were made in his image after his likeness, he didn't leave it at that. You see, a little aside here, the commandment says you shall not make any graven images nor worship anything other than me. In other words, you are not to try to picture me. We talked about this six months, eight months ago. God pictured is pictured in two ways, right? God imaged is imaged in two ways, I said. He is imaged in his son, Jesus Christ, and he is imaged in humanity, whom he made in his image. So as he's made us in his image, idolatry, the, the root of it, is anything that corrupts that image or anything that falsifies it. And we cannot image God. The only way we legitimately image him is in the work of procreation. He creates and he commissions us or commands us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, we've certainly done that. And I'm not sure uh, 
how much more room there really is on this planet to be fruitful and multiply. And my sermon isn't about being fruitful and multiplying. But it is to say that you were made in his image, and guess what? If you are a person who has progeny, you have also become an image maker of an image bearer. This is why humanity is so precious. Each individual counts. You see, regardless of what they look like, what country they're born, rich, poor, educated family, uneducated family, they're image bearers. Even if they have some sort of inherent defect or trisomy or some other aberration that affects the DNA and makes them appear to us abnormal. They are image bearers. They bear the image of God as we do. And so as a human race, we treat people ideally advantaged and disadvantaged based on the idea that God is the one in whose image all are created. This is the basis of our ethic and our being and our living and the way we treat one another and the way we operate in the world. This is why murder is such an aberration. This is why hatred is such a terrible thing. This is why war is such a curse and why every Christian, in my opinion, ought to think hard before endorsing a death penalty. Think carefully. Think hard. Made in the image of God, our job is to perpetuate God's image. How challenging is that? You see, it's not enough it's not enough to procreate, to have a baby. We see the high and the low succeeding in this. The educated and the non. The young and the not so young even these days. The question isn't procreation itself. The question is, having brought a life into the world, will we socialize that life? Will we train up that young being, that little person, to be socialized in the image of God. Do you hear the difference? I know you do. A baby isn't going to be a functioning human being without 20 years of training and very careful love and attention. No other species requires such a long maturation period. No other species on earth requires so much time and care and attention. No other species on earth is so vulnerable for so long. Why? Because our task as human beings is to raise up children, not in our broken down image, although that's what we usually succeed at best, but to raise up children who love, respect, and obey the living God. 
image bearers. You were made in God's image. You have procreated in God's image. And you are called to raise your children in the way of God. Deuteronomy, that was the text we read in Deuteronomy, wasn't it? You see, God gave some instructions to Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them work to do there. Among that work was, well, at least in Genesis 2, first to Adam, your first job is to avoid that tree. Not very successful, were we? Second job was to tend the garden that he had made. Can you see God actually making a garden? This work in Genesis 2 is set apart. It's much more personal in Genesis 2. It's it's a second creation story. It's very different than Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, everything happens because God speaks. It's very magisterial. It's beautiful. Tremendous language, wonderful imagery. And God declares it good. Word made flesh. Jesus Christ dwelt among us. So many connections to our scripture. So much power in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, though, it becomes much more intimate, doesn't it? God kneels, forms, breathes, end of Genesis 1, forms Eve from rib taken from Adam, gives Adam the first responsibility, having God already, having created humans with his own hand, having made a garden for them to tend. He says, you're going to do what I do. First of all, you're going to speak. And so he gives Adam the job of naming naming the animals. Did you catch that in the passage? Naming everything? Now, I've said this before. I'll say it again because, you know, I, I don't know who comes every week and who doesn't. You may not have heard this sermon. And if you did, I'm sorry. I'll repeat it anyway. When God gave Adam the task of naming, it wasn't random syllabic blatherings that God was after. Oh, I think he said goo instead of gah. No. Adam, as an intelligent being made in God's image, was given to classify things. Now, we're not talking about scientific, biological classifications of the post-Renaissance. That's not what I'm referring to. But the naming had significance each animal for its kind and was a participation in creation. Remember, in the Old Testament, every name has a meaning, meaning, right? Even today, names have meaning, but we don't usually name our children for meaning. We name our children because we like the sound or because it's tradition in our family or because some other reason. Great Aunt Matilda just insists on having Matilda be the middle name of all, I don't know. I mean, my own name, Gregory, means watchful one. Turns out to be rather appropriate. That's what I tend to be, is a watchful one. So whether the name determined who I was, or my parents just got it right intuitively, or they liked the name Gregory, I don't know. Lewis, however, third generation Honus name, came from my dad. Brennan gets it too, it was a prenup with my wife. Was I'm not kidding. I said, you know, if we, if we marry and have children, our son needs to be named Brennan Lewis. She said, really? Tell me more about that. <laughs> she, she handed the, the baby to me, and she says, uh, we're going to name him Brennan Lewis. She said to the nurse, and I said, no, hold, hold on. Hold, hold on. I took Brennan. 
and spent an hour or two with him right when he was newborn to make sure that that was going to be the right name. Having, having made it a prenup, I still wasn't sure until I could see the baby, until I could be with the baby. So that's how he got his name. And Adam is participating in this. Human beings are doing what God does. They are using words to bring about a reality, to create something. And Adam is naming these creatures and participating in creation, in the order of things. And he's commanded to garden, and he and Eve will do that. They go and tend the garden. They are to beautify, to order, to organize to draw something that will provide life and sustenance and happiness and home for them. They are to create as God has been creating. And then they are to multiply and make image bearers who aren't made just in their image, but who know that they too bear the image of the living God who imaged himself in the creation of humankind. What a responsibility. What a wonder. What a marvel. What trust God has put in us. And so these little image bearers that we create are to be trained up. That's where Deuteronomy comes in. Whether you're coming or going, we are to speak of the truth of the living God. This is why we do all we do as a church. Huge educational institutions to train up children in the way they should go. Sabbath schools with teachers dedicated to sharing more about the principles of God, the stories of the Bible. Parents, ideally, who are having time reading to their children, teaching, inculcating in them these stories of God and redemption placing deep within their hearts a longing to know the living God, a connection to that God. All of this energy, sermon time, attendance, all of these things that come together are meant to be spiritually formative so that when we have lived life, God will recognize us as having been made in his image. It's very interesting, uh, and I, I'm so bad at remembering sources, I, re- I regret that deeply, particularly in this case. There's a very interesting thought someone had about the unpardonable sin, and I wish I could name who it was. But the idea of the unpardonable sin in this person's theological thinking was this, that someone had finally gotten to the place where there was nothing left to save. That is to say, the image of God in that person had become so degraded that it was lost irretrievably. That's huge. What that means is that everything we do contributes in one way or another toward enhancing our sense of God's presence and purpose It forms us more in his image or it degrades us, compromises the image of God in whom and whose image we've been been made. So there's a work to be done 
that God gives us multiple pieces of work that resemble very much his work. He was a gardener, we're to be gardeners. He taught, we're to teach. He named, we're to name. He created, we share in that creation. And we're to raise up our children in the image of the living God. And by the way, that's a community responsibility. Don't just go, I'm not a parent. I don't have to deal with that. You do. Because parents can't do it alone. There's a reason church exists, friends. If we could do it alone, we wouldn't need to be here today. It wouldn't make any sense to put this kind of money and energy into building buildings and finding people to to serve. We wouldn't need to serve one another. We would be each self-contained whole units on our own. And God didn't make us that way. We all need one another to build one another up and to be built up by the other. And our children need to see that and to know that they belong to more than just mom and dad or grandpa and grandma or uncle, that they have an extended group of people that love and care about them and have a stake in their success and in their future. That's why we invest. That's why we do what we do. So, coming to the New Testament, we have this story in Matthew 10, this section. Let's turn there. Matthew 10. There's a commissioning that's going on. <clears throat> Jesus is sending out 12. He will later send out 70. As was read for us, he called the twelve together and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal disease and sickness. And he gives them specific instructions on how to do this along the way. And in verse 24, he says, A student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Meaning, what happens to Jesus happens to us. So let's just break this passage down a little bit. See, we see Jesus as having been the incarnate Son of God, another image bearer, not only an image bearer from a human point of view, but an image bearer from a special point of view. He is the Son, begotten not of human father, but spirit, bearing in a very special way the image of God, bringing an image of the Father that's a corrective to all that we had begun to believe about the Father. And in his love and in his compassion and in his service to humanity, Jesus doesn't start with theory. He starts with practice. He heals. He touches. He spits and makes mud and puts it on people's eyes. He commands demons to come out of children. He frees us in every imaginable way. Helps us back toward a stronger image. A more functional image. 
an image that has the potential to grow evermore into the image of its maker. Jesus heals. Jesus frees. Jesus commands demons and they obey. He even raises the dead. And he says, this work isn't for me only. This is your work too. And he sends out the 12. Now this is stunning. And we usually get stuck here, right? Yes? Be healed. How does, that, how does Benny Hinn do that? You know, I can see you all fall over, so I must not have the spirit that he has. We get stuck here. We're looking for the magic. Yes? We're looking for words that just make it something different than it is, right? Maybe God will give you that gift. I haven't seen it very often. I know I have seen spirits driven out of people. That I've seen. I have seen people prayed over, and they have become well. Perhaps not instantly, but they have become well. So words may have a very, very clear power here. We may in some ways bear the image of Christ who could speak and make it so. See, be calm. Spirit, come out of him. But perhaps our lot is a little more pedantic than that. Perhaps we are healers because we teach people how to live and avoid disease in the first place. Perhaps we are healers because we have engaged hospital work. And by our touch and by our research and by our approach, we make people more whole than they ever could have been, saving life. Perhaps we still release demons Maybe we don't recognize them so much with the Western logical mindset and in this country. But maybe that still happens globally in other places where spirits are very much alive and very real and very feared. They're real here too, by the way. The fact that we're not tuned into that doesn't make it any less real. There's a lot that could be said about that. We think of Jesus as doing a work that's different than us. He came to save the world. That's not my job. Well, that's kind of true. You can never save the world in the way Jesus did. But when he said, take up your cross and follow me, and when he said in this story, when it's recorded, that with what the disciples were doing, they made everybody so angry that they were arrested and put in jail. Well, not in Matthew, but in Acts. When we see the fruits of this, we begin to understand a little better. Go to Acts, and let's just be clear about this. What is our work? Our work is to do the one, the work of the one who made us in his image. Acts. I have it marked here. The apostles heal many. So it says they perform miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else there joined them, though, 
They were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, God added to his church, and more and more people believed. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least, at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. That's really something. It's like the woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. But then there's persecution. The high priest and his associates, Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and jailed them. But the angel of the Lord released them and said, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. The disciples did the work Jesus did, including taking up their crosses, including suffering for what they did, including bearing the marks that Jesus bore. It's a full circle, the call that we have. The work of God in creation, the work of God in healing, and the work of God in restoration is ours to do today. As human beings, image bearers, those created in his image after his likeness, our work is to steward the earth that has been made to raise up children in the way they should go, to proclaim as the prophets did justice in the land and healing for the nations, to bring healing to individuals who suffer and are sick and are degraded and depressed, addicted and denied. And our work is wherever possible to restore the image of God in humanity. We never do this by our own power. We did not make ourselves, nor do we work from our own power. But we do this that God might be glorified. We do this so that one day we may all celebrate together a humanity redeemed, Changed, quickened, made alive, immortalized. We do this together and we do this individually. Our work matters to God. It matters so much to God. Our work matters to God because it is his work that we mirror. It is his work that we're all called to do. May God bless us as we seek to restore his image in this world. And so, Lord, may we fulfill this image of yourself that you've created in us from generation to generation because you are God and be with us until we meet again. Amen.